by choosing your bank where you hold your money, where you have a mortgage or where you use other financial services, it also has an impact on your community, but also more, maybe even more importantly on the world itself. Welcome to the Next Gen Banker podcast, where we explore what's next in banking and talk with the innovators responsible for creating positive change in the financial sector. I'm Becca Heft, Chief Brand Officer at Sunrise Banks, and I am happy to be hosting with Brian Toff today, Sunrise Banks Chief Revenue Officer. Hey, Becca, happy to be here. Uh, David Reiling, our usual host, is out finding the next big thing in banking, um, but we have a special guest for you today. Yeah, and I can't tell you how I'm excited about this one. Brian and I are excited to welcome Yasmin Penetta and to be part of this podcast and to hear more from him and what he's doing. Yes, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah, I know I am too. And man, I've known Yaz for a few years now. Can you remind me how we met? I was actually trying to remember exactly, and I think I know it, when I started working for Global Alliance for Banking on Values, and Sunrise Banks is a member of that alliance, uh, I was running a marketing and comms community in practice, and as part of that community, uh, we created a... we, uh, was it uh, every three months we had meetings where we right. would invite everyone? And I remember that you were one of our most active members. And I was like, oh, she's such a great person to work with. So positive. And then, yeah, I was right. <laughs> and then later yeah. on, yeah, uh, Sunrise Banks hosted uh, an in-person meeting for the GABV, for Global Alliance for Banking and Values. And uh, you, we did a lot of work together on that yeah, we uh, have. event. Yeah. We have. And it's been just a great journey uh, getting to know Yaz and understanding what he's doing and the positive impact he's making across the world. Yeah. And before we jump into some questions, let's give a little background on Yaz. Uh, Yasmin is a communications professional with experience in values-based banking based in the Netherlands. And we just found out he's soon to be certified in ESG and impact investing and currently works for Oiko Credit, which hopefully we'll dive into today. Yasmin, welcome to the podcast and let's get started. Yes, let's do it. So um, first, let's start with Oiko Credit. Can you tell us about Oiko Credit and the work that it does? Sure. It's uh, Oiko Credit is quite old organization. It's been there for 46 years already. Uh, a few a week ago, I think we celebrated our 46th uh, anniversary, our 46th birthday. When people ask me what is Oiko Credit, Oiko Credit is primarily social social impact investor, and it's a worldwide cooperative that focuses on three uh, sectors. Basically, we provide finances uh, for financial inclusion, renewable energy, and agriculture. Uh, Oiko Credit currently focuses on 33 countries in Latin America, Asia, and Africa. And the main goal of the organization is to improve lives of low-income people and communities where we are actually present. So you're in the Netherlands, Yaz. I don't know where Oiko Credit is based out of. Oiko Credit is the Dutch uh, organization. It started, uh, I think, ever since they started, they are based in Amersfoort, which is a very small town, city, close to Utrecht, which is really in the middle of the Netherlands. 
Got it. Okay. So Oiko Credit works with lenders who participate in microfinance, which is a really important piece, as we all know, of financial wellness and inclusion. Um, yes. Can you tell us what the difference is between microfinance and how it differs from traditional finance? It's a, so, such an interesting uh, uh, type of financing because it, uh, microfinance uh, was started as an answer for people who don't have access to regular traditional banking uh, and uh, financial services, and not just uh, individuals, but also smaller companies and producers. When I was uh, doing a bit of research before this call, I actually found out that there is almost uh, that there is over a billion of individuals who lack access to financial services around the world, and microfinance is one of the ways how to actually bridge that gap. So, what uh, how microfinance works? Usually, individual comes with a very small request for a loan and then through years they build up their credit rating and then they with every single new loan they can increase the the, the amount usually these uh, uh these smaller loans are uh, to be used for uh, local manufacturing if they want to start up their own business or uh, sometimes it works uh, where a smaller company or an entrepreneur wants to increase their production so they need a bit of a bigger loan to buy a machine or something that will help them scale their business. Uh, but what what's interesting about this, you don't usually you don't have to have any account you don't have to have a bank account you don't have to have a guarantee usually if it's a smaller loan so it's much more approach uh, accessible for people uh, low income people especially who usually would not be able to go to uh, to a bank or open up the bank a bank account or something similar and uh, microfinance is usually present in uh, developing countries where uh, people have a very low uh, income uh, and they really need support like this. And Oiko Credit uh, works with uh, a lot of partners and one of our biggest portfolio is actually financial inclusion, which not only focuses on microfinance, uh, but also focuses on financial institutions who support small and medium enterprises who would usually not get access to uh, loans and support that they need. But they also, uh, and we also work with non-traditional financial institutions such as fintechs and uh, some uh, the new emerging companies that are related so that you cannot categorize them in any uh, other sector, basically. So Oiko actually gives lending and investment into other organizations, which in turn will utilize microfinance for these consumers. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So we have... Uh, a bit less than 600 partners around the world, and all these partners actually work with the uh, end, end clients, so we call them end clients, and those are the people that we actually aim through our uh, social impact work. Uh, so they're the ones who we actually want to reach and help them improve their uh, life and uh, their standard of living. Yes, by chance, do you have an example of that end client um, or an example or two of uh, the type of clients that you're reaching and the impact that you're making? We, I actually do. We recently published our uh, impact report for uh, this year. Uh, and one of the partners that we actually uh, featured is Coop Regresivo from Ecuador. And uh, for this uh, client, 
uh, end client actually has a stand where she sells nuts, roasted uh, peanuts, and so on at the local local market. So she usually needs a smaller loan where she needs uh, to buy supplies so she can actually sell it and then repay the loan. So those are the small, very small micro entrepreneurs who have uh, usually uh, they work with food or sewing or something uh, that's very much uh, that they can do themselves in a, a local community and with their profit they actually pay off their their loans so uh, this uh, organization called progressive called progresso uh, is actually a, get a microfinance institution who provides loans for end clients like this lady that i just mentioned and uh, what i'm really happy about is that uh, a lot of uh, these end clients are actually women which also goes hand in hand with the women empowerment and trying to provide more opportunities for women to actually be financially stable and uh, uh, support their growth as entrepreneurs as well. Wow, great story. Thanks for sharing. Um, yes, I think we were in Berlin when I first learned about your life story. Um, you've been from Bosnia to the Netherlands. Can you tell Brian and I a little bit about your life journey and how you learned about values-based banking? Sure. So, uh, I, as Becca said, uh, I'm originally from Bosnia and Herzegovina, a really beautiful country. I would recommend everyone to go to visit. It's such <laughs> a great place. I basically, my entire professional life there, I used to work, uh, I worked in uh, developing agencies. I worked for the British Council, I worked for the United Nations. And uh, I think ever since I did my master's in marketing, I realized that uh, business side is not something that I'm really passionate about. And I don't, and I never cared about, and I never saw myself uh, working for an organization that only cares about profit. So I think that was a really a good wake up call for me to actually understand that I don't want to work for a big organizations who are present or uh, companies who are present all around the world and whose target is only to maximize the profit. So that also helped me a lot to uh, focus on what I want to do. So when I was uh, back home, I was really fortunate to get a job at the United Nations Population Fund, where I actually worked quite closely on uh, women empowerment, uh, gender issues, sexual and reproductive health of uh, youth, which was quite a big topic. So you, I really experienced what it means to work with people in need who really uh, need the support. And when I say support, it does not need to be financial. It can also be uh, educational support or uh, even uh, just uh, to help them understand that, that uh, people care about them, basically. Uh, so after when I was there, I actually met my husband, uh, who was Dutch, and uh, we lived together in Bosnia for three years, but then it was time to go somewhere else. And at that moment, the Netherlands was the, the best option for both of us. And I came to the Netherlands. I started working for a cybersecurity organization, and I realized that coding and uh, cybersecurity <laughs> is not my cup of tea. So uh, I then decided to look for something that has a bit more meaning for me. So cybersecurity is very important, but it is really not something that I could see myself in. Uh, and then I slowly started looking for jobs and Global Alliance for Banking on Values was looking for someone to help them with their communication and branding. And I was really fortunate to see that. I had five interviews with them. It was the longest interview process of my life, even so far. 
but it was worth it. So uh, I spent basically three years working with them and getting to know what it, banking on values is really about. And uh, I have to say that I was one of those people who actually never understood what banking is. I was never too interested in financial sector. I never, it's not that I'd never cared, but I never, I thought it, I have an account. My money is just there. I, whenever I need it, I can take it out. And in my head, I don't know why. I, maybe because of the, all the uh, uh, Hollywood movies where you see all the <laughs> money. Uh, oh, sure. <laughs> I was like, yes, my money is there just waiting for me uh, uh, to take it out or to use it. But then when I started talking to uh, people and I have to say very passionate CEOs of all the GABV member banks, I actually understood that money can do so much more and is doing so much more and that we all have a responsibility of understanding exactly that and understanding that even if you have a hundred bucks at your account, it is also making a difference. And by choosing your bank where you hold your money, where you have a mortgage or where you use other financial services, it also has an impact on your community, but also more, maybe even more importantly on the world itself. So that's how I actually ended up understanding what's banking on values is and why is it so important and i have to say that i think at one point my friends were so sick and tired of me trying to nudge them to change their banks and to uh, <laughs> go to another more sustainable bank i have to say luckily in the netherlands we have a quite a number of quite sustainable banks uh, who are uh, very proud of and very i'm guessing i i think now they're becoming more and more popular which is also a good sign for the Dutch society. But then after three years with the GABV, it was time for me to actually maybe experience a bit of a change and understand what it, what, uh, what is it to work for a proper business organization uh, to a certain extent. And that's how I actually ended up at uh, Oiko Credit, which is also a member of uh, Global Alliance for Banking Good Values. Now I'm plugging Global Alliance for Banking Good <laughs> Values a lot, but uh, I think they deserve it because they do such a good job. So that's how I ended up uh, with the Oiko Credit. That's awesome. Yes. And a couple of things you said really stuck out to me. You know, um, values-based banking, you know, just where you hold your money or even where you have your loans, you can make a difference just by holding your money in a certain bank, in a certain place uh, like um, Sunrise or any of these other values-based banks because they do good things with those deposits. Um, so I really like what you said about that. And actually, we have kind of a similar story. I was a computer science major and realized programming was not for me either and and fell into kind of values-based banking and, and really, really um, worked for me. And programming definitely has its place. And what I never thought was that computer science background would come back around um, and what you're talking about with cybersecurity and, and digital and programming. I mean, banking is all about that today between fintech and cybersecurity and uh, all of that tech side is at the forefront of banking. I never thought that would be the case, you know, several years back. Uh, speaking of that, you know, when you think about, you know, Oiko and financial inclusion, what we hear a lot about uh, in terms of other countries um, is that digital and mobile based banking is very well adopted. You know, we experienced that through the Global Alliance for Banking on Values and talking to other countries and other banks and how people utilize their phone to do, you know, almost all, if not all of their banking. Um, how does that 
you know, work with, um, you know, Oiko and how does digital play into, you know, some of the end clients and some of the programmer, you know, uh, what did you call it? The, uh, the programs that you give your credit to, how does digital play into that? And where do you see that going? Is that going to be further adopted? Is that going to make, you know, financial inclusion easier? Talk a little bit about that. Sure. I think, uh, digital has such a big, uh, potential to actually change the world of finances in general. For Oiko Credit, I think we're uh, still a bit more traditional uh, when it comes to our investments into the di digital sphere, but I think we're also starting to slow, uh, slowly change. The challenge that we have is that we work with partners who actually work with end clients. So a lot of times uh, we don't we invest money uh, and provide loans and equity investments in companies uh, who have a more traditional way of working with clients and supporting mm -hmm. uh, the clients locally. However, recently we announced uh, quite a number of uh, uh, deals with companies uh, who support uh, SMEs uh, in a digital uh, way. So there are a few, especially in Mexico and Latin America, is quite uh, active in the digital world. Uh, and I think I've also seen a lot of changes in more traditional partners, especially now because of COVID, where everyone is trying to understand how they can move their uh, work on a uh, on a uh, to the digital uh, and make it more accessible to everyone without actually going somewhere. Uh, that also means that uh, uh, we're uh, Oiko Credit will have to keep this trend going and will have to adapt to the new uh, challenges and the new require. Well, I think all the clients, even investors, will eventually require the easy to use either app or a system where it becomes a lot easier to actually invest your money and keep track of your money uh, wherever you are. Uh, and when it comes to digital in general, I had uh, so many discussions about this topic with uh, a lot of GBV uh, uh, CEOs uh, from the members of the GBV. Uh, and uh, banking on values banks are per se small banks, so they don't necessarily have too much money to invest in uh, digital transformation and digital infrastructure. Uh, and that brings a bit, I mean, uh, that type of work requires a lot of investments, initial investments, uh, but eventually it'll actually help them. Uh, I think one of the biggest challenges that the, these bank, banking values, uh, institutions, sustainable banks, smaller banks, and uh, in, impact investing funds are facing is that other big players are getting on board and not only are they getting more uh, into the digital world, but they're also becoming more sustainable, or at least they're trying to say that they're becoming more sustainable. And for some, it really works quite well. That, uh, uh, and uh, for others, maybe a bit less. But this also becomes a very big uh, threat to these smaller organizations who are actually uh, who've been there for years to actually work in mm -hmm. communities and support them. So what I'm uh, what I'm seeing and what I'm really hoping is that uh, all these smaller banks with a very pronounced mission to support local communities will get on board and will find a way how to actually invest in uh, uh, digital transformation and actually use technology for to en uh, to enhance their businesses. Otherwise, they will be really lacking behind. Uh, and 
and uh, I'm very positive. And I think now with the Corona, uh, COVID-19 pandemic, we've seen such a big uh, digital progress in a way in all uh, aspects, not just banking, but in uh, everywhere uh, where people are understanding how powerful technology can be and how investments in the right infrastructure can actually help you remain uh, valuable and also remain in business. You know, I find that interesting, Yes, um, I think there's been this misnomer that in developing countries that, you know, when we talk about the digital play and the use of mobile uh, phones to do banking, that it is happening in developing countries. And that's really been a primary way for these countries to access credit, to access their funds. Yeah, when you mentioned that, I actually uh, I remembered a really good example. It's a Bcash uh, that was created by Brack Bank from Bangladesh. Basically, Bangladesh ah. has a very big diaspora community around the world. And in 2010, actually, they created a system of uh, sending remittances back to Bangladesh uh, via uh, a text message. And uh, they, uh, at this moment, have 30 million registered users uh, all around the world who are actually using the system. So it basically started with a text message. Now I think it's uh, it had they have their own app that's much easier to use. But uh, sometimes uh, we forget how advanced uh, these developing countries can be when mm -hmm. it comes to digital uh, and uh, technological advances when in financial sector especially in uh, I've been uh, to Ghana in Africa and I've also noticed that they use their mobile phones for payments and repaying loans and uh, we have a few a lot of other uh, partners in developing countries not in Asia as well in Latin America I think as well that also use the similar system where mm -hmm. you can uh, top up your uh, a, a phone account, and then you can actually use it to pay for services, to pay off your loans, to uh, transfer money between users, send money to someone else. What I'm really fascinated about is that you don't have to have a flashy application in order to have the whole system work quite well, but you can also just use it in a very simple way as they did it uh, with Bcash at the start. And uh, uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's uh, it really is fascinating how uh, people can come up with these ideas and uh, in the financial sector. Uh, but I've also noticed that, uh, uh, and I think in the US as well, the, uh, there's a big rise of uh, fintech. Uh, especially who provide such a great service, super uh, simple way of opening up uh, bank accounts, very low fees on sending and uh, receiving payments, or even uh, it, sometimes it's free, that they are really taking over this financial market, basically, which is really interesting. Yeah, there's no question that uh, every day it seems like movement of money is speeding up and mm -hmm. access to credit is easier, access to financial system and services is easier, and uh, the pandemic seemed to have um, accelerated that. Um, going back to what you said about, you know, you're falling into values-based banking, not really even understanding banking itself, but now working in an organization that does banking what advice would you give to someone who either is a banker and is more interested in values-based banking or maybe isn't a banker and is like, well, this is kind of interesting. You know, if I worked at a bank, I would I would want to be at a values-based bank that, you know, is all about making a difference in people's lives. What, you know, just from your own experience and uh, what you know, 
what what advice would you give to someone out there that either is doing banking or maybe wants to get into it? So I think one, the first thing it would be to actually understand what is values-based banking and uh, social impact investing and ESG investing, because I think a lot of uh, these questions or uncertainties come from not understanding what it is about. Uh, I think a lot of uh, more traditional bankers see the see uh, impact investing or values based banking as something that might not bring profit uh, but in reality it, it is actually quite stable market uh, and uh, if you do business correctly and uh, that's beneficial for the society and communities and the planet it doesn't mean that you will not get profit back uh, profit will be there if you do a good job uh, but uh, I, just understanding it and uh, educating yourself about what it, uh, how you can make a difference as a banker is I think one of the most important things and you cannot force someone to change it they really have to understand and uh, why they're doing it uh, so I what I'm trying to keep doing with everyone is to make them understand what I said before, how it is important how they use their money and the money should be used for something good uh, and keep uh, this on repeat will hopefully make some people change their mind and uh, help them uh, navigate towards values-based banking as a professional or even as uh, just uh, to open up a bank account and see how it goes. Yeah, I always think about, you know, is it is this decision we're making profitable to the bank is an important question, but it's not the only question. And mm -hmm. it's definitely something that, you know, there are other what I've found is values based banks versus other banks is profit seems to be the main question at other banks and values based banking. It's a question, but it's not the only one. And it's it's part of a bigger, I think, decision making process where social impact and other things factor in as well. Right. And when um, I think about David Reiling, the host of Next Gen Banker and Sunrise Bank CEO, David always talks about it's mission times margin. So the more you grow your mission, the more your margin grows, the more your margin grows, the more your mission grows. And that's kind of that is the mantra here at Sunrise and with so many other values based banks in the global alliance as well. Well, we are getting short on time, gentlemen. Um, this has been just a great conversation. I wanted to leave with one question. And yes, you're, I know how passionate you are about um, values-based banking. How do we think we can get the word out um, about values-based banking? How can people get involved? Um, what would you recommend? So I think we're having words for the GABV, I think one of the best ways to actually market values-based banking is just to provide uh, examples, uh, positive examples of the work that has been done. And luckily, there's so many good uh, examples out there that we just need to uh, sometimes find a good form to actually push it out. I'm sure this one of the forms of this podcast, actually, I'm hoping that it will inspire some people to actually understand first to understand what money is about and how, how money can be used and uh, then to actually find a good balance between their values and what their money is doing. And that's also something that a lot of people forget. They think that 
if they're very if they live very sustainable life if they recycle if they buy organic if uh, they are supporting their local communities but then if they're bank uh, with a bank that really doesn't care about anything like that it doesn't go hand in hand so you really should find a way how to balance these things out and i always say like if you don't care about it like it's your choice so don't go with any other bank you want this is really not for you but if you care about the world and uh, to the extent that you actually recycle then you should also think about what your bank is doing around the world or where they have their investments uh when it comes to uh values-based banking i think it is gaining momentum a lot more especially here in europe uh we're uh, experiencing a big uh wake up amongst uh, millennials, I think, where they actually care a lot more about the world in general, which also uh, reflects on how they bank. And uh, I've noticed that, for example, in the Netherlands, a couple of uh, very sustainable banks are becoming more visible and uh, more and more of uh, people uh, are actually opening up their accounts there, which is also a good and positive development. So I'm really hopeful. I just think we should jump on the wagon and then uh, uh, see where it takes us. But we should uh, start talking about what we're doing, be very proud of it, and not be shy little uh, banks uh, in the shadow of other giants. Yes, thank you so much for being on the Next Gen Banker podcast. It's a treat to be able to talk to you. Um, And the next time I'm in the Netherlands, let's connect. I'd love to have a cup of coffee. It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed our conversation and I cannot wait to see you. Thanks so much, Yes. This was great. For this episode's musical feature, we are showcasing Chris Taylor. Chris hails from upstate New York and currently resides in San Antonio, Texas. He has co-written two songs with Dave Stewart of The Arrhythmics and has many albums to his credit. Here is But If There's Love from his 2021 release, Transformed. This world is full of pain, gotta lay it on down, gotta let it roll, don't you know, hold my hand and we'll come on down, dry your eyes and we'll come on down, don't you know, there'll be no better time to transform. That was But If There's Love by Chris Taylor. Hear more of Chris's music at chrystaylorworld.com. If you'd like your music featured on the Next Gen Banker podcast, email nextgenbankerpodcast at gmail.com with a link to your music and website. Thanks for listening to the Next Gen Banker podcast. We'll see you soon.